Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning and welcome to Canopy Rivers Financial Results Conference Call for the quarter ended September 30th, 2020. I am joined uh, this morning by Narbe Alexandrian, President and Chief Executive Officer, Eddie Lucarelli, Chief Financial Officer, and Matthew Mundy, uh, Chief Strategy Officer and General Counsel. Uh, they will be making some formal remarks, following which we will conduct a question and answer session. If at this time all or at this time all lines are placed in uh, listen-only mode, if at any time during this call you require immediate assistance, please press star zero for the operator. This call is being recorded on November 9, 2020. Uh, for this conference, the press release, MD&A, and condensed interim consolidated financial statements for the three and six months ended September 30th, 2020, are available on the investors section of Canopy Rivers website at www.canopyrivers.com, as well as on CDAR. Uh, before we start, please note that remarks on this conference call uh, may contain forward-looking information within the meaning of applicable securities laws about Canopy Rivers and its investees' current and future plans, expectations, intentions, financial results, levels of activity, performance, goals, or achievements, or any other future events, trends, or developments. To the extent any forward-looking information contained in the remarks constitutes financial outlooks, uh, this information may be appropriate uh, may not be appropriate uh, for any other purpose, and you should not place undue reliance on such financial outlooks. Uh, Forward-looking statements are made as of the date hereof based on information currently available to management and on estimates and assumptions made based on factors that management believes are appropriate and reasonable in the circumstances. However, there can be no assurance that such estimates and assumptions will prove to be correct. Many factors uh, could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed or implied by the forward-looking statements. Financial outlooks are also based on assumptions and subject to various risks and the company's actual financial position and results of operations may differ materially from management's current expectations as a result, Canopy Rivers cannot guarantee that any forward-looking statements will materialize, and you are cautioned not to place undue reliance on these forward-looking statements. Uh, forward-looking information is made as of the date given, and, except as may be required by law, Canopy Rivers undertakes no obligation to update or revise any forward-looking statement, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. For additional information on these assumptions and risks, please consult the cautionary statement regarding forward-looking information contained in the company's financial results press release dated Monday, November 9, 2020, and the risk factors in the MDNA and the company's annual information form dated June 2, 2020. Please note that the company reports in Canadian dollars and all dollar amounts expressed today 
unless otherwise stated, are in Canadian currency. I would now like to turn the conference over to Narbe. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today and for your interest in Canopy Rivers. This morning, we reported our financial results for the quarter ended September 30, 2020. I will begin the call with some highlights for the quarter, both from Canopy Rivers and our portfolio companies, and then I will provide an update on Farmhouse. Eddie will then walk through the financials before we conclude today's call. Matt Mundy, Canopy Rivers' Chief Strategy Officer and General Counsel, will also join us for today's question and answer period. While our focus this quarter was on our investment in Farmhouse, we are encouraged by both the progress happening across our portfolio as well as in the broader cannabis sector. As you'll hear today, many of our portfolio companies made significant announcements this quarter, and we continue to believe that the Canopy Rivers ecosystem is supporting some of the innovative companies that are shaping the future of the cannabis industry. We are also encouraged by recent trends at the industry level. In Canada, recreational cannabis sales have grown steadily in each of the last six months. Total cannabis sales grew 15.2% from June to July 2020, and then 5% from July to August, representing sales of $231.6 million in July, and then $244.9 million in August. In Ontario, where retail is quickly expanding to meet consumer demand, July to August growth was 10.9%. As licensed producers and brands evolve their product offering to meet consumer demands, we're optimistic that this will grow into 2021. In the United States, voters in five states voted to approve cannabis-related initiatives in last week's election, including the legalization of recreational cannabis in New Jersey, South Dakota, and Arizona. While the future of cannabis at the federal level remains murky, we hope that the strong support for cannabis reform at the state level will be reflected federally in the near future. Moving on to some corporate updates. During the quarter, we welcomed Garth Hankinson to our board of directors. Mr. Hankinson currently serves as a chief financial officer for Constellation Brands. The board also voted to appoint Asha Danier as chair of the board following our annual general meeting in September. Ms. Danier has served on the board since May 2018 and has chaired both the Compensation, Nominating and Governance Committee and Conflicts Review Committee of the board. She also serves as chair of the special committee of the board reviewing the company's investment in Farmhouse. We are looking forward to further leveraging Asha's guidance and expertise as we work towards a solution and a resolution of the situation surrounding our Farmhouse investment and move forward in executing our mission to deliver value for shareholders. We have one other personnel change to announce subsequent to the quarter. Olivia Dufermontel, Sanity Rivers' chief operating officer and COO of Canopy Growth, former COO of Canopy Growth, will be leaving the company. Olivia has been a tremendous asset to our team. We thank Olivia for his contributions and wish him the best in his future endeavors. I want to take some time now to highlight the progress we saw across much of our portfolio in the past quarter. While this growth may not always be reflected in our share price, we believe that many of the companies we're invested in are positioning themselves for long-term success in the global cannabis market. We're excited to continue working with them to access new markets and grow their market share, while also working towards the eventual monetization of certain assets. Of all the growth we've seen in the portfolio, none is more encouraging than the progress we've seen from TerraSense. We highlighted this growth in our last earnings, and TerraSense followed up with another strong quarter. On the retail side, 
It opened its first, first apothecarium location in Berkeley, California. Terrison is also permitted to open up three dispensaries in the north region of New Jersey under the state's medical cannabis program. Finally, subsequent to the quarter, Terrison announced the signing of a definitive agreement to acquire HMS Health and HMS Processing, a cultivator and processor of medical cannabis products in the state of Maryland. HMS currently operates a 22,000 square foot cultivation and processing facility in Frederick, Maryland. Today, HMS produces dry flour and oil products for the medical cannabis market and has the capability to produce edibles upon regulatory approval. We are thrilled by Terrison's success in recent quarters and remain steadfast in our belief that they are emerging as one of a few multi-state operators that stands to gain the most from ongoing legalization initiatives across the United States. Last week's selection results were another positive development for Terrison. New Jersey, where Terrison is one of the three operators permitted to cultivate and distribute cannabis under the state's medical program, voted overwhelmingly to legalize recreational cannabis. As a reminder, Canadian Rivers holds 19 million exchangeable shares in Terrison, plus an additional 2.6 million common shares share purchase warrants of Terrasen, exercisable upon the occurrence of similar events as exchangeable shares. There are a number of events that could enable us to monetize these shares, which as of market close on November 6, 2020, carry an implied value of approximately $214 million. Sticking with the cultivation section of our portfolio, AgriFarm had two exciting announcements this quarter. First, it announced it obtained a sales license amendment from Health Canada, enabling it to sell certain slang and greenhouse seed company branded products in Canada. Then in August, AgriFarm secured a supply agreement with Ontario Cannabis Store to provide it with dried flour from greenhouse seed company. Subsequent to quarter end, Slang announced that its open vape cartridges, marketed and distributed by AgriFarm, were available for sale in British Columbia. Moving to the retail and consumer product side of our portfolio now. High Beauty launched CanBee, a new line of natural aloe-based products combining hemp seed oil, organic plant oils, essential vitamins, antioxidants, and bioflavonoids. CanBee is available online through Walmart and in over 1,700 CVS locations across the U.S. High Beauty also signed a contract to distribute CanBee cold in early 2021. Candy is a complementary line to High Beauty's High product line, which is available in more than 25 retailers and over 600 stores in Canada, the US, and Europe. High Beauty's continued expansion is a sign of its management team's resilience in overcoming the obstacles presented to retail brands at the onset of the novel coronavirus pandemic. In total, High Beauty's products are now available in 33 retailers, totaling more than 2,800 stores in Canada, the US, and Europe. Dynaleo also continued to add its roster of white label customers this quarter. After announcing its first supply agreement in the previous quarter, Dynaleo agreed to another with High 12 brands in the second quarter. Dynaleo and High 12 expect that these products will be available to consumers by the end of this calendar year. Our last update for retail is for YSS, which announced strong second quarter results, reporting a 12% revenue increase from the previous quarter. Subsequent to quarter end, YSS also opened its 18th store, YSS Hamptons in Edmonton. Construction is underway on the company's next two stores, including its first Ontario-based store in Waterloo. 
With its expansion into Ontario, YSS is positioning itself as one of a handful of cross-country retail brands. In the biotech and plant science portion of our portfolio, we have one update from Biolumic regarding the results of its preliminary trials using its proprietary UV light technology on cannabis. After seeing significant results in other crops, Biolumic's light signals recipe treatment for cannabis recently achieved its highest cannabis yield gain of 59% dry flower mass and noted that all strains receiving its treatment have surpassed 30% yield increases. Tests have shown cannabinoid increases of 25% or higher in each of THCA, CBGA, CBG, CBD, and CBC. Results like this reinforce our initial investment thesis that companies like Biolumic will come to play an important role in the global cannabis sector. Finally, an update on the technology portion of our portfolio. During the quarter, we participated in Headset's bridge financing, signaling our vote of confidence in their strategy as they continue expanding into new geographies and cementing themselves as a data leader for the cannabis sector. This follow-on investment consisted of a $1.1 million convertible promissory note representing a fully diluted equity interest of 8%. This quarter, Headset expanded its insight tool to Massachusetts and Oregon, and then subsequent to the quarter, it also expanded into Saskatchewan. By ensuring they continue expanding into both US and Canada, Headset is capturing a holistic view of recreational cannabis markets across North America, enabling the industry to make informed decisions based on real-time consumer insights. We believe that our portfolio is heading in the right direction. Our public company investments are reporting strong results and we are seeing progress in many of our private investments as well. In the coming months, we'll continue to focus on supporting them through this growth, whether that's through providing additional financial or operational resources and where applicable, guiding them towards a monetization event that both maximizes value for the company and its management and also our shareholders. I will now spend the next part of today's call addressing farmhouse prior to passing over to Eddie to review our financials. There were several farmhouse-related disclosures made in the previous quarter, and we want to provide an update on what we are doing today to try to resolve the situation in the best interest of our shareholders. As we announced last quarter, we formed a special committee to oversee and provide guidance relating to our investment in farmhouse. Their mandate includes oversight and guidance with respect to a host of items relating to the investment, including the off-peak agreements with Canopy Growth and TerraSense, the credit facility on which Canopy Rivers is a guarantor, and the consideration of alternatives to our investment in Farmhouse. While the special committee continued its review, there were several developments during and subsequent to the quarter. I will discuss these most recent updates before stepping back to provide investors with a clear view of the events leading up to these announcements, as well as the other actions Canopy Rivers has taken and is taking to maximize value for our shareholders in connection with our farmhouse investment. On September 14, the company received a statement of claim filed by the majority shareholder of Farmhouse concerning certain disputes relating to Farmhouse. The claim makes a number of allegations against Canopy Rivers, Canopy Growth, Terrasen, and Terrasen Canada. We view the claim as it relates to our actions to be completely without merit, and we intend to vigorously defend our position at the appropriate time and in the appropriate form. Pursuant to the endorsement from the Ontario Superior Court of Justice dated October 30, 2020, the farmhouse majority shareholder is to discontinue the claim and has agreed not to issue a new claim in respect of this matter prior to January 1st, 2021. 
On September 15, Farmhouse obtained an order from the Ontario Superior Court of Justice, granting a creditor protection under the Companies Creditors Arrangement Act, or CCAA. Pursuant to the court order, Canopy Rivers agreed to provide an interim debtor in possession, or DIP, non-revolving credit facility, up to a maximum amount of $7.2 million to enable Farmhouse to continue its day-to-day operations. We continue to believe in the role Farmhouse could play in the Canadian cannabis sector, and, for, and by providing DIP financing, we have helped Farmhouse maintain operations as it commenced its CCAA proceedings. The current DIP financing is expected to keep Farmhouse in operation until the end of December, at which point we anticipate it will require additional capital. Finally, subsequent to the quarter, Farmhouse received court approval to initiate a sale and investment solicitation process to identify interest in and opportunities for a sale of or investment in all or part of farmhouse's assets or business. Outcomes from this process could include a sale, restructuring, recapitalization, or other form of reorganization of farmhouse's business or assets. A number of options are on the table, and we believe this is a very important step in the process of working towards an optimal outcome for our shareholders. The deadline for the first phase of non-binding offers will be on or about November 30 of this year. With respect to the optic agreements between Farmhouse, Canopy Growth, and Terrasen, respectively, these agreements are still in place. We understand that Farmhouse, alongside ENY as the monitor, is carefully reviewing the optic agreements and the circumstances surrounding them, and that the goal of this review is to determine the best path forward with respect to the optic agreements. We will provide updates on these as needed. One of the areas that has generated questions among our investors is a deteriorated relationship with the farmhouse majority shareholder. The initial thesis at Farmhouse was to combine one of the premier greenhouse operators in North America with optics with two of the largest licensed producers to build a low-cost cultivator at scale. While in our thesis, while in our view, the thesis was sound, the success of the investment required the various parties at the table to work together. This evidently did not happen. As a minority shareholder in Farmhouse, we did everything we could to bring the parties together and reach a mutually agreeable solution, and we believe that we took the appropriate steps from a minority ownership position to do right by Farmhouse and our shareholders. We are very disappointed that the solution did not come to pass and remain resolutely focused on working towards a strong outcome for our shareholders. I will now turn it over to Eddie to walk through our financials. Eddie? Thank you, Narbe, and thank you again to everyone who has dialed into the call this morning. I would like to remind everyone that we have posted explanatory materials on our website at www.canopyrivers.com that provide a more detailed explanation on how to interpret our financial statements, given that we do not report financial metrics that are typical of Canadian LPs or U.S. MSOs. Before I dive into our financial results for the quarter, I want to acknowledge that our results this quarter were significantly impacted by the recent developments at Farmhouse including the CCAA proceedings and the restructuring. We have made multiple investments in Farmhouse, including common shares, loans, and most recently, the dip financing. And we have recognized a number of one-time charges this period related to these investments. For context, our reported net loss of $110.4 million includes $112.3 million of pre-tax charges on Farmhouse-related items. I will speak about these in more detail momentarily. Turning to our results for the quarter, I will begin with our operating results. Net operating loss 
before consideration of equity method investees and fair value changes was 7.4 million for the quarter, compared to a loss of 4 million for the same period last year. Operating loss before consideration of equity method investees and fair value changes was 5.8 million for the quarter, compared to income of 2.2 million for the same period last year. This includes the company's royalty, interest, and lease income, net of provisions for expected credit losses. On a gross basis, this income was primarily generated from the company's royalty interests in AgriFarm, Radical, and Tweed Tree Lot, secured debenture investment in Greenhouse Juice, term loan investment in Tariff in Canada, and shareholder loan investment in Farmhouse, and was offset by a provision for expected credit losses on interest and royalty receivables of $9.9 million. This provision for expected credit losses included an $8.9 million provision on previously accrued interest receivable in respect of the company's shareholder loan to Farmhouse, which was recognized in connection with the Farmhouse Recoverability Assessment, which I will discuss momentarily. Operating expenses were $1.6 million for the quarter, compared to $6.2 million for the same period last year. Excluding share-based compensation, which reflected a recovery this quarter as a result of stock option forfeitures, operating expenses were $2.1 million and included $1.3 million for employee compensation, marketing and business development, and other administrative activities, and $0.4 million for professional fees relating to legal, audit, tax, accounting, and other regulatory compliance advisory fees. This quarter, we also incurred $0.4 million in legal and advisory fees directly attributable to the farmhouse restructuring and statement of claim filed by the majority shareholder of farmhouse. Our share of loss from equity method investees was $33.2 million for the quarter, compared to a share of loss of $0.7 million for the same period last year. As a reminder, pursuant to an election available under the relevant accounting standard, we pick up our share of profit or loss one quarter in arrears, meaning that the financial results of our equity method investees that we report for the quarter ended September 30th relate to their financial results for the quarter ended June 30th, adjusted for any significant events that occurred up to our reporting date. Given the material events that occurred at Farmhouse during the quarter and in connection with the Farmhouse Recoverability Assessment, the financial results for Farmhouse that we recognized this quarter through our application of the equity method included, included an impairment adjustment for Farmhouse's assets. As such, our share of loss from our investment in Farmhouse equity was $32.6 million for the quarter, which reduced the carrying value of our investment in Farmhouse common shares to nil. The net change in fair value of financial assets at fair value through profit or loss was a decrease of $3.1 million for the quarter, compared with a decrease of $0.6 million for the same period last year. There are several financial instruments in our portfolio that are classified as financial assets at fair value through profit or loss. The decrease this quarter was primarily driven by the negative changes in the estimated fair values of our investments in the AgriFarm royalty interest and greenhouse juice secured and unsecured convertible debentures, partially offset by the positive changes in the estimated fair values of our investments in the Terrasen Canada term loan, which includes the attached warrants of Terrasen Corp, Barrett Maribel preferred shares, and Tweed Tree Lot royalty interest. A detailed breakdown of the fair value changes in these instruments is included in Note 8 to our condensed interim consolidated financial statements. As I referenced, the company's reported net loss for the quarter reflects several charges in respect of our farmhouse-related financial instruments. As a result of the CCAA proceedings and restructuring, there were several indicators present at September 30th to suggest that the carrying values of our various farmhouse-related financial assets may not be recoverable and that we may be required to recognize a financial liability in respect of the guarantee on Farmhouse's $90 million 
syndicated credit facility. Accordingly, as at September 30th, we performed an analysis, which we have called the Farmhouse Recoverability Assessment in our financial statements and MDNA, to estimate the recoverable amounts of our various investments in farmhouse. With the assistance of external appraisers and evaluators, the Farmhouse Recoverability Assessment required us to estimate the net proceeds that would be realized in a notional liquidation of farmhouse's assets under a scenario where the farmhouse greenhouse facility is no longer used for cannabis operations, and then to assess how those notional net proceeds would be distributed to various stakeholders based on the priority of their respective claims on farmhouse's assets. Based on this farmhouse recoverability assessment, it was estimated that the recoverable value of farmhouse's assets in this liquidation scenario was less than the priority claim on farmhouse's assets held by the senior secured lenders on farmhouse's syndicated credit facility. Accordingly, we recognized a number of charges for the period ended September 30th to reflect the fact that our farmhouse-related assets may not be recovered and that we may have a liability in respect of our guarantee on the farmhouse credit facility. These charges include the previously mentioned share of loss from our investment in farmhouse equity of $32.6 million, which, as I mentioned, reduced the carrying value of our common share investments in nil. A full provision for expected credit losses on the outstanding balances represented by the company's loans receivable with Farmhouse of $45.8 million and the related interest receivable balances of $8.9 million, and a provision for credit losses on the liability associated with the company's guarantee of the Farmhouse credit facility of $25 million. The Farmhouse recoverability assessment and the related charges, which I have just described, are based on a number of significant assumptions and estimates regarding the recoverable, recoverable amount of farmhouse's assets under an, ordinary, an orderly liquidation scenario where the greenhouse facility is no longer used for cannabis operations. The actual outcome of such a scenario may be materially different than that reflected in the analysis. After consideration of operating income, operating expenses, equity method investees, fair value changes, and the other farmhouse-related charges, Canopy Rivers reported a net loss of $110.4 million for the quarter. Below the net loss line, we capture the impact of net changes in fair value of financial assets of fair value through other comprehensive income, which is presented net of tax. On a net of tax basis, the net change in fair value was an increase of $23.4 million for the quarter, compared to a decrease of $28.3 million for the same period last year. This line item includes the net impact of fair value changes in our investments and in equity instruments of investees that are publicly traded, as well as other investments and in equity instruments. The net increase this quarter was primarily attributable to the positive change in the fair value of our investment in Terracent exchangeable shares of $30.5 million, offset by a decrease in the estimated fair value of our investment in variable common shares, among other smaller items. A detailed breakdown of the fair value changes in these instruments is included in Note 9 to our condensed interim consolidated financial statements. Total assets as at September 30th amounted to $245.7 million. The significant components of total assets included cash of $37.9 million, interest and royalty receivable, net of provision for expected credit losses of $3.9 million, investments in equity method investees with a carrying value of $13.4 million, investments in financial assets at fair value through profit or loss with a carrying value of $78.3 million, and investments in financial assets at fair value through other comprehensive income with a carrying value of $106.9 million. Total liabilities as of September 30th amounted to $26.7 million, primarily relating to the estimated financial liability 
associated with the company's guarantee of the farmhouse credit facility. Moving on to cash flows, cash used in operating activities was 1.1 million for the quarter, compared to 0.7 million for the same period last year. Cash used in investing activities was 4.9 million, compared to 5.3 million for the same period last year, and primarily related to advances made to farmhouse during August and September of 3.3 million, as well as follow-on investments in biolumic and headset. As at September 30th, we had advanced 2.1 million to farmhouse pursuant to the dip financing and have made additional advances of 3.1 million subsequent to quarter end. Finally, cash used in financing activities was nominal and primarily related to a small level of share repurchases we completed pursuant to our previously announced normal course issuer bid offset by cash proceeds from the exercise of options. Before I conclude, I want to reiterate that we are extremely disappointed by the recent developments at Farmhouse and the related impact on the financial results that we are reporting today. We remain critically focused on resolving this situation and maximizing value preservation for our shareholders. I will now turn it back over to Narve to conclude today's call. Thanks, Eddie. The developments at Farmhouse have highlighted an inherent risk with the venture capital model in that we do not take majority positions in investing companies. We inject capital into companies with strong operators without overexposing ourselves and our shareholders to too much risk. This minority interest risk is one that all venture capital firms face, but allows us to diversify our risk across multiple business models. While some investments may not produce strong returns, others will return many multiples on the capital invested, making up for those that do not. It's important to remember that the issues facing farmhouse are just that, issues facing farmhouse. Canopy Rivers has exposure to these issues, but our portfolio is more than farmhouse. We have a low overhead, stable cash position, and potential interim monetization events that could return capital to us if needed. Additionally, and as I noted at the start of today's call, many companies in our portfolio are producing strong results. Each of these investments has the potential to return value to our shareholders. We continue to put in the work needed to drive these companies to an eventual monetization event, but these milestones take time. The average venture capital timeline has companies taking roughly seven years from initial investment to acquisition or IPO. We feel we are in a stable position that affords us the opportunity to help our investments mature appropriately, and we do not need to take any drastic steps at this point in time to prematurely liquidate any of our investments to bolster our cap position. We continue to work in the background on long-term plans that we believe will deliver value for our shareholders. This includes an increased focus on the U.S. market, where we believe the most long-term opportunity exists in the cannabis sector. As the regulatory framework continues to evolve, we believe that we will also be well-suited to capitalize on more opportunities as we are permitted to do so. We plan to discuss these plans in more detail in the coming months. That concludes our formal remarks. Eddie, Matt, and I will now be pleased to answer your questions. Operator, please begin the question period. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You'll hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request and your questions will be polled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by two. If you are using a speakerphone, uh, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. One moment for your first question.
Okay, so your first question comes from Graham uh, Kreindler from uh, A Capital. Graham, please go ahead. Good morning. Thanks for taking my question. This is actually Pat Sullivan on the line uh, on behalf of Graham here. Uh, I guess probably just to focus on, on farmouts a little bit more. Um, I guess how much how much capital you guys said that uh, farmouts with its di the dip financing. Um, it's expected to keep running till December when it would need additional capital. How much capital do you estimate it needs uh, to bring its operations back to a level it can fulfill its commitments? Yeah, th th thanks for the question, Pat. I think, uh, you know, one thing that's important to remember is that as part of the dip financing, we sized the facility in a manner that allowed farmhouse to continue its day-to-day -day operations. So as we referenced, it is continuing to grow uh, in its facility in respect of the offtake agreements. Um, the dip financing was sized at just over $7 million, and that covered a three-and-a-half-month period. So while we haven't indicated a specific estimate of what farmhouse would be required to have beyond that period, I think that's a reasonable approach to take when you're trying to think about the capital needs of farmhouse beyond that, just based on how it's being funded today and the pace of capital deployment today. Okay, understood. Um, and then I guess, is, is the company looking to deploy capital into further investments at this time, or is you know, preserving cash uh, more of a priority. Uh, we we are we're, we're continuing to look at uh, companies and deals across uh, both Canada and the U.S. Uh, especially as as we've seen the, the Biden administration come into power, um, our, our our deal flow is is just as strong as it has has been before. At this point in time, uh, we, we haven't made any uh, new investments uh, since April of 2020. Uh, as we look to resolve the, the pharma situation, and and then we can get back into the market and in a more aggressive stance. Okay, understood. And then um, I guess, can you elaborate on on what types of opportunities are, are most compelling to Riv right now? Um, I, I I would assume the U.S. market, like you said, is is maybe um, a focus. Um, anything specific or uh, any any verticals or, or segments you, you might be looking at. Absolutely. So there, there's there's four areas that we really want to focus on. These are areas after seeing about 2,200 uh, pitches to date, we, we we agree that these are areas where there's sustainable competitive advantages and there's a uh, competitive moat around these sectors. So the first one would be on the uh, uh, plant science side. We, we know that cannabis has been uh, prohibited for over 90 years and the cultivation methods and, and processes that we see are, are uh, fairly primitive in relation to other crops that, that have been studied and, and have been uh, processed numerous times. So we were making a, a large uh, um, view and thesis around the uh, agricultural technology side of the sector, uh, where uh, companies like Biolumic and Zcal can really pave the way of how we see cultivation in the future. The second area where our, our focus is on the biosynthetic side. So biosynthetics are uh, is, is the ability to create cannabinoids in labs using uh, bacteria, uh, yeast, and, and, and other uh, bioorganisms. We believe that uh, biosynthetics, uh, as we've seen them shape up the, the pharmaceutical sector, will play a large role for the cannabis market in the future. Uh, maybe not so much in the um, major cannabinoids, CBD and uh, THC, because those are readily available in the plant, but more so in the 98-plus minor cannabinoids that are out there uh, that, that the plant doesn't readily produce in large quantities. The third area of our focus is on brands. Uh, we, we think that there's still uh, many brands that are, are coming into market and, and that the brand affinity and brand equity that we expected in the cannabis market still is, is up in the air. 
uh, at any given time when we look at the top five companies within sorry top five brands within a region we notice that on a quarter over quarter basis these brands are changing uh their positioning all the time which is a signal that they're they're uh the, the industry has has not yet matured so we're, we're very bullish on uh brands that come into market that are hyper consumer focused and, and really understand the, the the end consumer very well and the last piece and our fourth pillar is on the technology and software side. We've, we've made uh, a couple of investments, LeafLink International and Headset, uh, which, which was a big play on the software and technology side. And we continue to look at the software technology side, especially as uh, we, we look across the border into the US. Okay, understood, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, should you wish to have a question, uh, please press star, followed by one. Okay, so it appears there are no further questions at this time. Please proceed. We look forward to sharing further process, progress in the coming months. I want to close off by saying how excited we are about the future of cannabis. In Canada, we've seen a tremendous growth at the retail level with monthly growth of 8 to 9% on average this year. As this continues, we see the market moving into a more long-term supply-demand balance. In the U.S., with the Biden administration, we estimate a 12 to 18-month time horizon to see some of the Unity Tax Task Force recommendations take shape, including the decriminalization of cannabis in the U.S. and the legalization of medical cannabis and the rescheduling of cannabis outside of Schedule I classification. The venture capital model is defined by taking on investments that have high risk but come with the ability to score extraordinarily high returns. While Farmhouse did not work out to our original thesis, another investment, Terrasen, did, providing us with a sizable return. We have another 15 portfolio companies which are primed to take advantage of the trends ahead of us, and, and I'm excited to share more news with you as they continue to grow. Thank you for joining us, and have a great day. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.